courtesy of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Receptionist, and yes, your host, your servant, the Jester. Oh, my Lord. We're wired that way. No point in fighting it. Hi, everybody. I'm Archibald with the Thrills of Houston, Texas. We don't only sing, but we dance. Hello, amigo. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you You can put them in a salad You can put them in a pie Any way you want to eat them It's impossible to beat them But bananas like the climate of the very, very tropical equator So you should never put bananas in the refrigerator. To have bananas that are fully ripe, you must be absolutely sure. To take them home and let them ripen, they don't get fractured. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> The complete solution for your home PC. Here I am, in the city, with a fistful of dollars, and baby, you better believe I'm back, back in the New The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, let the motherfucker burn. Burn, mother flacken. Salmon, sim, sim, salmon, slim, slam, salmon, sing, chicka, 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 Hey, 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 hello, my name is Jimmy Papa, and I'm a dumb white guy. I'm not old or new. The other white meat, I'm the other white meat. Salmon Santa hung like planet Pluto, hard to see with the naked eye. But if I crashed into Uranus, I would stick it where the sun don't shine. Kinda like Han Solo, baby. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the ratings of a clown on Just the Radio. But you can call me Cookie. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, let the motherfucker burn. Burn, hacking, baffin. Burn. Hey, 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 good evening, welcome to the ravings of a clown. It's Scottish night here on the ravings of a clown. Ow! 
Ho, ho. All right. Hey, uh, so such a show we have for you this evening, as Grandma Jester would say, it's Thursday, February the 4th, the day of the 14th, the day of love. Today's the day that Cupid's drawing back that bow and let it sail into your tushy. Swing! What? <laughs> I'm in love. <laughs> and uh, we'll take a look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours and mine. Well, my dear sister finally uh, died this morning. I must say she put up a good fight uh, over 25 years battling uh, multiple sclerosis. Just a heinous, uh, insidious disease. Not that I, I, I imagine... There's any disease that's not heinous or insidious, but it's an it's an especially um, difficult and tragic one. Not the least of which uh, is because it happens to strike um, women in their thirties most commonly. So it just you know can just just destroy you know a life. Although I must say, my sister she you know uh, she made lemonade uh, certainly. Um, when she, you know, she was very active and playing softball, for example, and then when she couldn't play anymore, she stayed on the sidelines and cheered, you know, the softball, uh, and never made a peep about it, never complained a word. And then, uh, you know, when she couldn't even go out to the ball game anymore, then she stayed home and did the newsletters on her computer until she couldn't do that anymore, until she basically couldn't move, you know, a muscle in her body. And, uh, you know, and she fucking took care of everything, you know. It turns out I was going to, you know, look into, well, you know, okay, now where do we have to go? Where do we have to get the body? Where do we have to, don't have to lift a finger. She donated her body to science. Harvard uh, School of Medicine came by and picked up her body, you know, like less than two hours after she was dead. And when they're done with it, they'll cremate it. Give it back to my father, who will then go and spread it on my other brother's ashes, on his grave. Bada bing, bada boom. She's got the whole thing wrapped up. No reason for a funeral or a, fu or a memorial service of any, time, of any kind, because we already had that uh, a year ago. She read the book, uh, Tuesdays with Maury, and in it, the guy has a funeral for himself because he wants to hear what everybody's going to say when he's dead. And she thought that idea was great, so she ran one of those for herself. And you know what? Everybody fucking came. I mean, you would think it's a big joke who would come to something like that, but everybody came from all over the country. So she just had that kind of, uh, she just sort of had that kind of control. She was extremely independent and um, really smart. And she will definitely be missed, my dear, dear sister. Uh, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Um, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. It is Thursday, February the 14th. And you know what that means? It's the day of uh, love. It's the day of romance. It's the day that you um, tell the one that you care for that you think that there's something special. 
So we'll get uh, a little further into that soon. But uh, let's start by taking a look at the news. Dum, dum, dum. From high atop Jester Radio Studios in a secret location outside your universe. It's time for this ship. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. That's getting better and better when he does that, don't you think? Man dressed in black opened fire with a shotgun and two handguns from a stage of a lecture hall at Northern Illinois University today, injuring as many as 18 people four critically before he killed himself. Apparently, this guy walked out from behind a curtain at the front of the classroom and just started gunning people down with a fucking, with a bunch of uh, guns. Witnesses in the geology class said someone dressed in black came out from behind a screen in front of the classroom and opened fire with a shotgun. I mean, it's a it's a classroom. I mean, how does somebody get behind a screen with guns in the classroom without being fucking noticed? Uh, the mechanics of this escaped me. Peter said he couldn't confirm any fatalities other than the gunman himself. University Police Chief Donald Grady said the gunman was not a student at the school. It appears he may have been a student somewhere else. He said, adding that the police have no apparent motive. We're going to get to the bottom of this shit, man. Uh, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, that song, Ohio, soldiers are gunning them down. I mean, we're really living in a time when um, it's become more than just this, you know, uh, one in a billion, you know, k kids gunning uh, themselves in their classrooms down. It's becoming a more common thing ever since Columbine. You know, it happens every couple of months now. So somebody needs to look into that, see what's up with that, and see what we can do about that. My God, we obviously, you know, it's going to be a combination of things. Keep your eyes peeled for the, you know, for the for the hinky looking ones. Plus, uh, control access of guns to minors. Plus, you know, uh, I don't know if people realize this, but you know, kids want to fucking do everything. I wanted to do everything starting from when I was eleven. First time I had sex, I was twelve. And first time I took drugs, I was fucking, you know, eleven. So the children have zero impulse control. You have to stop them as parents, as loving, caring parents. Uh, you have to stop them from walking off the edge of a cliff. Their cerebellum, their decision-making part of their brain, is not fully formed until they're in their 20s, 21, 22. So it's not just because kids these days or some shit. It's because physically they have very low impulse control. So we need to keep the kids on one side of the fucking world and the guns on the other side. Uh, I, I respect the, you know, people's rights. I don't like the idea of the government controlling uh, who has access to, you know, anything, uh, much less, you know, something every day, you know, as a gun that has, you know, a variety of legitimate uses. But we do need to keep the children away from them. It's just it's getting out of fucking control. I'm not saying we need to keep the kids away from the video game guns. I, you know, when I was a kid, we played with G.I. Joe, and we all ran around up and down the block screaming blam, blam, pointing our fingers at each other. But there were no fucking Columbines, not to my recollection. There was that one kid from the ta ta Texas Tower, but that was the one time. 
Taking a page from Hollywood uh, science fiction, the Pentagon said today it will try to shoot down a dying bus-sized U.S. spy satellite loaded with toxic fuel and a, on a collision course with the planet Earth. We've been talking about this the past couple of weeks. There's this huge satellite floating around up there, and they're worried because they no longer have control over it, so it could just fall down anywhere, like on your head. I don't know if anybody remembers Space Lab from back in the 80s. Everybody walk, walked around wearing these special Space Lab protection hats because it was falling out of the sky. Nobody knew where. Eventually fell like into some Australian ocean, you know. Uh, but um, they don't know. Not only are they worried that this is going to fall down, they don't know where. Obviously, the likelihood that it's going to hit anybody, very, very teeny-weeny. Nevertheless... It's got spy shit on it. They don't want people to capture. They don't want the bad guys to get the satellite, and then they'll put two and two together, and they'll say, aha, the United States is waterboarding. The dramatic maneuver may well trigger international concerns. The military hopes to smash the satellite as soon as next week, just before it enters Earth's atmosphere, with a single missile fired from a Navy cruiser in the northern Pacific Ocean. U.S. officials have begun notifying other countries of this plan. <laughs> Duck. Stressing that uh, it does not signal the start of a new American anti-satellite weapons program. So they're saying it's not the Star Wars program. I know it looks like we're trying to shoot down a missile out of the sky, but it's nothing like that. Military and administration officials said uh, the satellite is carrying uh, fuel um, called hydrazine that could uh, injure or kill people who are near it when it hits the ground. That reason alone, they said, pr uh, persuaded President Bush to order the shoot-down. It's the only thing that breaks it out that is worthy of taking extraordinary measures, said General James Cartwright, Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, during a Pentagon briefing. He predicted a, f a fairly high chance, as well as uh, as high as 80% of hitting the satellite, which will be about 150 miles up when the shot is fired. Not a single fucking word um, is spoken about the security c concerns, which is the only thing this administration gives two flying fucks about. You know they don't care about human life. They've been sending children into that fucking meat grinder over there for, f you know, f six years now. They couldn't care less. No, it's the security, but they they put it in this guise. This is what these people, these really evil people are always doing. It's like, oh, it's, the ch it's all about the children. If it would hit somebody in the head. Imagine the likelihood of something, you know, the size of like a small Volkswagen minibus um, falling out of the sky randomly at any point and hitting somebody. <laughs> People, you know, t t take up like what? A billionth of the fucking, you know, coverage of the earth between the land and the sea. And most of us are, aren't we like indoors most of the time? So I, I really doubt it that that's what persuaded uh, George Bush to spend a quarter of a million dollars knocking a fucking uh, satellite out of the sky. Call me Mr. Thinical. In a fresh sign of trouble for Hillary, one of the fir uh, former First Lady's congressional black supporters intends to vote for Barack Obama at the Democratic National Convention, and a second, more prominent lawmaker is openly discussing a possible switch. Representative David Scott's defection and Representative John Lewis's remarks 
highlight one of the challenges confronting Clinton in a campaign that pits a black man against a woman for a nomination that historically has been the exclusive property of white men. You have to represent the wishes of your constituency, Scott said in an interview yesterday in the Capitol. My proper position would be to vote the wishes of my constituents. (laughs) Got it. That's what you would do. The third-term lawmaker represents a district that gave more than 80% of its vote to Obama in the February 5th Georgia primary. Lewis, whose Atlantic-area district voted 3-1 to for Obama, said... She's not ready to abandon her, uh, her, her backing for the former first lady, but several associates said the nationally known civil rights figure has become increasingly torn about his early endorsement of Clinton. They spoke on condition of anonymity, citing private uh, conversations. So, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, because for me... I've always considered all this support crap, you know, as they start so, so start falling away after these primaries. Um, then they throw their support, you know, to somebody else. I always saw these support deals as under-the-table deals where promises are made in exchange for support. I mean, call me cynical, but I, I believe, you know, 90% of them are, you know, of these support uh, things of former candidates are all deals. People go to them and say, you know, you had, uh, you know, a few million supporters. How much, you know, what do I got to do to get you to throw those people over to me? Well, you know, give me a position in the cabinet, you know, after you see what we could do. Uh, you know, give my state some fucking pork barrel bullshit that I ask for in a couple of years when it comes up. No, no problemo. You know, one hand scratches the other guy's back. And uh, we'll keep it at an arm's distance so it won't look like it's uh, quid pro quo. But, you know, I got to ask myself, what is it Hillary is doing that's pissing all these people off that they're supporting uh, Barack when what could Barack possibly, you know, give them? What could, what could be good for them to support Barack? He's a fucking nobody. He has no power or influence. Why would they give him their support? You see what I'm saying? It, it, uh, it's, it's puzzling. Republican campaign dropout Mitt Romney, meanwhile, endorsed John McCain for the party's presidential nomination and asked his national convention delegates to swing behind the likely nominee. Even when the contest was close and our disagreements were debated, the caliber of the man was apparent, the former Massachusetts governor said, standing alongside his one-time rival and his now defunct campaign headquarters. This is a man capable of leading our country at a dangerous hour. Primaries are tough. Republicans love to fucking ring that danger bell, don't they? They just, that it's, you know, they... <laughs> They just love to make it all about protection and security and terror and, you know, forgive me, but, you know, I lived in downtown Manhattan for, you know, 39 years. I never once saw no tear except for that one time. So making the whole, you know, brunt of the whole country about that one thing, it really just doesn't make sense. 
You know, George Orwell said in 1984 that one of the rules that dictatorships always do is they always keep the company, the country perpetually at war. Because when you're at war, you're in sacrifice mode. You're saying, oh, it's the good of the country. You sacrifice for the country. We're, we're trying to save the world from the bad guy. And that way, they are willing to give shit up constantly, give up rights, give up liberties, give up values. It's, it's very easy to manipulate people in an emergency. Say, oh, just give me this power now. It's a terrible, terrible emergency. Of course, these people have been dragging this emergency out for, you know, six years. They, they would drag it out for 60 if they could. Just to get you to follow along. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Thursday, February the 14th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Cupid, draw back that bow, sproing, and let the arrow go straight to my lover's heart. Sam Cook kicks it off on JR. Please don't touch that dial. Funny Valentine, sweet comic Valentine, you make me smile with my heart.
Your looks are laughable, unphotographable, yet you're my favorite work of art. Is your figure less than Greek? Is your mouth a little weak when you open it to speak? Are you smart? But don't change your hair for me Not if you care for me Stay, little Valentine, stay Each day is Valentine's Day Is your figure less than Greek? Is your mouth a little weak? When you open it to speak, are you smart? But don't change a hair for me. Not if you care for me. Stay, little Valentine, stay. Each day is Valentine's Day. Each day is Valentine's Day on Just Radio. Uh, Frank Sinatra before that, Sam Cooke. You know, it's hard to think about these people. I guess, um, uh, I guess most people, uh, you know, don't automatically make all these associations. But for me, when I think of Frank Sinatra, I think about the mob and all the wacky shit. Uh, um, you know, uh, but. Um, you know, just like with uh, uh, Michael Jackson, you know, <laughs> think about who, all the, the kids that he molested. Hey, you're live on the air with uh, the Jester. Who's calling? Hi, Dad. Oh, my gosh. It's Jester at number two. Happy Valentine's Day, sweetheart. Happy Valentine's Day. Did you just call? you? Did you just call in to wish all our listeners a happy Valentine's Day? Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow, that's very sweet of you, Angel. How are you? I'm good. How's your show going? How's the show going? It's going very well. Uh, we were just talking about Michael Jackson and uh, Frank Sinatra. Of course, because they're synonymous. Well, they are related in that, that it's hard to listen to any of their music, either one of them, without <laughs> thinking about their whole freaky story. You know what I'm saying? Well, I like Frank Sinatra. Yeah, but Frank Sinatra, you know, w was a mobster and w had lived a wild life and uh, got into all kinds of crazy trouble. Yeah, but he wasn't touching little children. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but still, whenever I think about Sam Cooke, I played a Sam Cooke song before that. Cupid, you know, you know the song Cupid. 
by Sam Cooke. He was uh-huh. he was found yeah. face down in a pool of blood in a motel room. I can't think of Sam, I can't think of Sam Cooke without thinking without you know thinking of that either. Well, then I guess there's just too much sadness associated with music. I, you should just stop listening to it. Or I just know too much about the music. I think that <laughs> Probably that's it. Well, thank you very much, Angel, for calling in the Jesterette yep. number two. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Go to, you go to bed. Bye-bye. Wow. Isn't that sweet? Um, yeah, it's hard to think about these people uh, without... Uh, uh, making that association when I hear Michael Jackson doing, you know, uh, Mama's Pearl or something when he was eight years old and had this c- awesome, you know, gorgeous voice. All I think about is he's fucking, you know, groping kids in the bed. In bed. All I actually, the, what I always think about is um, him saying on that interview that he thought it was perfectly normal for a 41-year-old guy, 44-year-old guy to sleep in bed with, uh, with um, kids. Uh, being obese or even overweight may increase a person's risk of developing up to a dozen different type of cancers, according to European researchers' report today. Let's just face it. If you're overweight, you're going to get some kind of cancer. Uh, the 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 or if you're obese, you're going to get some kind of cancer. There is a very strong tie uh, between them. Doctors have long suspected a link between weight gain and certain cancers, including colon and breast cancer. But in the new study published today in the journal Lancet, it suggests it could also increase chances of the uh, cancer of the esophagus, thyroid, kidney, uterus, and gallbladder, among others. At least I don't have to worry about the uterus. That's the one thing. Phew. While the study suggests a link, there is no definitive proof that being fat in itself causes cancer. To make the link between cause and effect, we need to tick several boxes, said Dr. Andrew Renahan, the study's lead author and senior lecturer at the School of Cancer Studies at the University of Manchester. The study begins to tick the first two or three boxes, but more research is needed to confirm it. The researchers compiled data from 141 studies and considered more types of cancers and more diverse populations than had been done previously. The research covered more than 280,000 cases from North America, Europe, Australia, and Asia. What's cool now is that these databases are available now and study groups can purchase a database and then formulate their own study based on pre-existing data. And just by manipulating it different ways and seeing, you know, how the, you know, what the computer will yield. It's awesome. So they don't actually have to pay for the study. They just have to pay for the results of the study and then they do what they want with the data. Anyway, uh, drop the pounds. It's better to be underweight than overweight. In a day of political brinkmanship, President Bush pressured the House today to finish a bill giving the government more leeway to eavesdrop on phone calls and emails of suspected terrorists. House Democrats didn't budge, and angry Republicans staged a walkout down the Capitol steps from the White House. Bush argued that the House has plenty of time to pass a bill before the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act expires at midnight on Saturday. The president plans to leave on a five-nation trip to Africa tomorrow, um, but said that uh, he'll delay his departure and stay in Washington if it will help them complete their work 
on this critical bill. It's so important to the government and the administration that they have the ability to eavesdrop on suspected terrorists. Of course, we always get into this dance where what is what is suspected based on a hunch, evidence, proof, and if it's good proof, but you won't tell me what it is for security purposes, because that's what this administration always falls back on the secrecy trick. And um, and so they always say, well, take my word for it. Um, it's a security risk. You know, my answer to that is I do not take this administration's word for it. They have lied and lied and lied through both fucking sides of their mouths from the day that fucking they were in for eight years. So, you know, excuse me if I'm cynical, but when the government says, you know, it's in your best interest, don't ask questions, man, I get really concerned. We have space on the calendar today for a politically charged fishing expedition, but no space for a bill that would protect the American people from terrorists who want to kill us, said Representative John A. Boner, the Republican from Ohio, the minority leader. Let's just get up and leave, he told his colleagues before walking out with scores of Republicans in tow. Obviously a pre-orchestrated uh, event. A short time later, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she had instructed the chairman of the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees to meet with their Senate counterparts by tomorrow to start reconciling the House and Senate eavesdropping legislation, something she predicted could be done within 21 days. How about this? Better idea. How about somebody stand up and say, mm, no, it's America. Uh, we have this uh, you know, thing about illegal search and seizure uh, for the, called the Fourth Amendment. No can do. And, you know, if it means that the terrorists win... I guess that's what it means. But you don't give up your liberty for security because when you do that, you deserve neither. According to um, um, S. Poe, uh, Sam Cooke wasn't found in a motel face down in a pool of blood. He became involved in an altercation at a seedy motel and a lady guest uh, and the night manager uh, and was shot to death while allegedly trying to attack the manager. So he wasn't found face down. Um, he, he was found by the photographers, however, because that's the image I'll always have in my head of those grainy black and white crime photos of the scene. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Just Radio this Thursday, the day of love, 2008. It's uh, Jimmy Clanton on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. It gets good right now. is out of date There's more than seven one day 
sweet comic valentine You make me smile with my heart Your looks are laughable Yet you're my favorite work of art Is your figure less than greed? Is your mouth a little When you open it to speak, are you smart? But don't change a hair for me. Not if you care for me. The Satchmo on Jester Radio, along with Lady Day. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Thursday, February the 14th, the year of our Lord, 2008. So very glad you decided to join us on the Day of Love. Um, it's um, it's the day of love. Uh, uh, this is the, of course, uh, based on the uh, Saint uh, Valentine, who was some WAP saint apparently that uh, was like some kind of matchmaker or something. So there's the history of that, and I'm glad we could uh, straighten that up for you. A lot of people did apparently did uh, cover that song, My Funny Valentine. It's one of those what them call their uh, standards. And uh, we have here in the studio, oh, I don't know, it looks like about 60 versions of it that we've collected over the years. And I don't even think that begins to touch the number of covers. What's that? Bob says there's well over 200 decent covers. What appeared to be a metal staple was found today in a Valentine's Day lollipop at an elementary school in Lakeland, Florida, a day after a woman reported a blade-like piece of metal in another bag of the same product. It's been pulled from the shelves of thousands of stores across the country, roughly 20 lollipops from a bag of Pokemon Valentine card and pops were seized at Kathleen Elementary School in Lakeland, x-rays determined that only one piece definitely had metal. 
what appeared to be a staple baked inside. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd said today on Wednesday, Lisa Potter in nearby Mulberry told authorities she found a lollipop with a piece of metal in it in a bag of the same product. The metal appeared to be part of a razor blade. The Polk County Sheriff's Office issued a safety advisory and the dollar store chain removed the product, sold in bags of 10 for, uh, from its more than 8,000 stores nationwide. The Food and Drug Administration is investigating. Judge said the two tainted lollipops were purchased from different Dollar General stores near Lakeland. He said the lollipops did not appear to be tampered with and it appeared the metal was baked into the candy in China, where it was produced. Our children were put at risk of physical injury because of this, Judge said. No injuries have been reported, and it was unclear whether the metal was intentionally placed in the candy. Brr, man, I tell you, I got kids. That's the shiver me timbers. That makes you concerned, you know. You have a tendency to trust food and stick it in your kid's mouth. And that's a scary thing. I think we got to uh, definitely put a put put some kind of cap on these uh, these Chinamen. They're just poisoning these kids and fucking sticking metal in the lollipops, man. Without you know, without checking the shit out before they send it over. The chief of uh, Hezbollah told throngs of supporters at a funeral for slain commander Ima Mugdinya that the group would retaliate against Israeli targets anywhere in the world after accusing the Jewish state of killing the militant blah, blah, blibbity, blah, blah, blah. Same shit they've been saying for 55 years since the day Israel was formed. They've been saying that they're going to wipe them off the face of the earth and they're going to get them back and they're going to kill them. This guy was a ruthless mass murderer. And as the Israeli secret Mossad police has done since they began, is if you fuck with them, then officially, above board, they'll say, ah, you win that one. Nothing you can do. Shalom. But below board, they will get you, and they will find you, and they will kill you in your sleep. And they've done it. They did it to the guys who, uh, the kidnappers, uh, the, there was like 11 or, or some of these guys, uh, uh, something like 11 guys who got away from the, um, uh, when they took the Israelis hostages uh, during the Olympics back in the 80s. And 11 of these guys got away with it. And uh, the Mossad just tracked them, each one of them down. Some of them were killed in bed next to their wives. And the wife woke up in the morning, and it was like that scene from The Godfather with the horse's head. Ah! He, like, ramps up that scream in there. Starts out like a, like a regular scream. Israel ordered its military, embassies, and Jewish institutions overseas to go on alert earlier in the day, fearing revenge attacks for the car bomb that killed Mugdinya on Tuesday night in Damascus, the former Hezbollah security chief was one of the world's most wanted fugitives, accused of masterminding attacks that killed hundreds of Americans in Lebanon in the 1980s. Too bad, of course, uh, it's not the United States that would ever fucking get a pair of balls and go after people like that. 
but uh, thank goodness Israel does. While Hezbollah supporters built, bid farewell to Mugdinya, tens of thousands of their pro-Western political opponent, opponents filed at downtown Beirut Square to mark former Prime Minister Rafiq Harari's 2005 assassination. The opposing gatherings reflected Lebanon's divided soul. And fearing clashes, authorities deployed thousands of troops. By the evening, there were no reports of violence. Of course, they fucking bashed everybody's head in and they went home. Hezbollah and its Iranian backers blamed Israel for killing Mugdinya, but Israel denied involvement, of course. What? Me? I don't know what you mean. I wasn't even there. Of course. And by the way, they said that they were extremely happy that he had died. A total of 260 Americans were killed in attacks that were engineered by this cocksucker. Uh, he was also believed to be the mastermind behind the kidnappings of Americans and other Westerners in Beirut in the 1980s. Israel and Argentine prosecutors uh, accused Mugdinya of involvement in the 1992 and 94 bombings of the Israeli embassy and a Jewish center in Buenos Aires, uh, attacks that killed more than 100 people. And then in the 1990s, he just he vanished up in smoke, reportedly undergoing plastic surgery, moving between Lebanon, Syria, and Iran on fake passports. But, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to move too surreptitiously between those countries because they're very highly sympathetic to scumbag like, uh, like this guy. So he's dead. It's a cause for celebration. Um, you know, in a situation like this, you know, you try and reflect and you say, eh, am I being, you know, too much of a hard ass? Is, does this guy have a granddaughter who loves him and uh, it's a loss for her? So don't cheer so loudly. Um, but, you know, I don't know if he had a mother or a grandchild who loved him and, and uh, it's an innocent loss for them. But I do tell you that the world is a safer fucking place without this guy in it. So it's, uh, you know, I'm sorry for any man's death that uh, diminishes me, uh, according to, uh, I guess, uh, one of those Dunn boys. But uh, he was a bad motherfucker. Shut your mouth. Well, I'm talking about Mugdinya. Hey, you're listening to the Roovings of Acclaim this Thursday, February, the day of Louvre. The year of our Lord, 2008. And you know, when it gets down to it, it's all you need. All you need is love. It's the Beatles on JR. Don't touch it, love.
Radio, the Beatles before that, all you need is love. Yet another killer version of uh, my funny Valentine. How many are there? There may be, I don't know, dozens and millions of them. We're going to just keep exploring uh, them. All this love day, day of love, 2008. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown. Me, moi, why no one special, no big deal, no one important. Just your old pal, your servant, your slave, your humble master. The Jester, coming to you from a secret location in the heckin' in the schmuckin'. And thanks so very much for phoning in this evening. Extra special thanks to my wonderful little angel, Jester at number two. And if you get a hankering in your mind to give the old Jester a call, why, it's easy. Just shimmy up the telephone pole and ask Sarah to dial 646-502-8600. And uh, we'll put you right away live on the air with no delay. And you could say whatever's in your mind. You could just say whatever the fuck comes right. Just the shit, that stupid shit that pops right into your fucking head. Miriam Amash filled in the routine form with anything but routine information. Amash, who recently applied for a new Israeli identity card, said she was born 120 years ago. A claim, if confirmed, would make her the oldest person in the world. The Guinness Book of Records currently lists 114-year-old Edna Parker of Shelbyville, Indiana, is holding that title. Sabim Haddad, a spokeswoman for Israel's Interior Ministry, confirmed that Amash from the Israeli Arab village of Jezarka is listed in the population registry as having been born in 1888. We're just not sure it's correct, Haddad said. The listing was based on a birth certificate issued by Turkish authorities who ruled the region at the time. Ministry clerks in an Israeli city near Amash's village found out about her claim this week and when she came in to replace an identity card that she lost. Uh, relatives said that she has uh, 10 sons and one daughter, her eldest now in her late 80s, she has about 120 grandchildren, 250 great-grandchildren, and one nephew. No, and 20 great-great-grandchildren. A granddaughter-in-law, Hamda Amash, uh, said Miriam is a healthy, active woman. She uh, walks each day and makes sure she drinks at least one glass of olive oil. I tell you, man, these fucking people. But I tell you, this points out an important thing. One, what they say about drinking a glass of water every day, forget about that. You want to drink olive oil. Just, just chug it straight from the jug. It's good for you. And two, after you're done puking, make a note of the fact that this is a woman who is an Arab living in Israel. We just sort of glossed over that. But, you know, there are millions of Arabs living happily and safely in Israel. Um, just none the other way around. 
Hey, uh, you're on Just Radio. Who's calling? Hey, it's uh, Rupert Pumpkin in New York. You're the third caller. All right. What I win? Uh, we, we don't. We don't have. Well, if you take a request, I'll request Elvis Costello, "My Funny Valentine." Oh my gosh, what a beautiful cover of that yeah. song! Does that go out to somebody? Somebody special? Perhaps a loved one of yours, Rupert. Uh, that uh, that goes out to Robin, the beautiful Robin. Oh, that's very sweet. Tell me, is, but, is Robin a healthcare worker of any kind? Mm, once upon a time. Oh, but she's gotten out of that line of work. She has. But I'm calling about because you said uh, if you got anything on your mind, anything at all. Well, speak up, son. Ridiculous. I got this plan I want to propagate across the nation and well, the world. This is the place to start. This is where all great ideas are launched from, young man. By the way, do you have a website, maybe rupertpumpkin.com, that people can visit? Yeah. Okay. So go on. So basically, this is how it goes. If it's ever 11-11, when you look at your watch or your clock or anything you're looking at, when it's the time 11-11. Which is coming up in like nine minutes. And this can, you know, everyone can participate if they happen to notice the clock, say 11-11. Just flush the gotta, toilet? No, all you got to do is dance until it says 11-12. Just jump up from wherever you are. Jump up if you're sitting, start dancing if you're walking. And do it just a kind of a jig, a standing in place jig or a... Any kind of dance you want. down type of twist your partner. A twist would be nice, but any kind of dance you want. And so one day when we're all walking down the street on Fifth Avenue... Oh, my God. turns 11-11, like oh 18 people <laughs> will just start dancing and we'll be able to find each other. That's the most amazing concept in the world. Well, plus, plus, if you're ever having a bad day, it feels good to have a reason to dance. How how much is that going to crack everybody up? It's like the seventh inning stretch. You don't want to <laughs> do it at first. You feel like an asshole for doing it. But then after you get into the spirit, you do a little of the chicken dance there. And then you go on with your day as if nothing happened. That is the most amazing thing. Well, Rupert, this is a brilliant idea, however. Oh, no. However, like all brilliant ideas, it's worthless, meaningless. Why? Unless you come up with a catchy name for the media to embrace. 11-11 dance. There you go. All right, well, we'll work on that then. All right, bye. But uh, thanks very much for calling in, Rupert, and we'll get to that request. Every year, uh, no matter where you are, um, Rupert suggests... Um, just uh, if it's you happen to look down, don't you know set your watch off, or maybe do if you're enjoying it a great deal. But uh, every time it's eleven eleven, uh, just stop where you are and dance for sixty seconds straight till it's eleven twelve. My gosh, can you imagine what a world this would be if if in the middle of like a fucking press conference, George Bush out in the Rose Garden, you know, that's what I want to fucking see. I want to see the president do the bunny hop. You put your right leg in, and you know, you can do anything. You can do like a, like a rock. You can do like a Saturday night fever type of thing. You can do the Batman. You know what I'm talking about with the mask in front of your face? 
I think that's brilliant. Um, anyway, you heard it here first. Three couples uh, got the Valentine's Day wedding they crave today, marrying at a White Castle in the restaurant chain's home city of Columbus, Ohio. This morning's uh, ceremony at the burger joint, which featured the slogan, What You Crave, involved a flower girl who threw salt and pepper <laughs> instead of rice and employee name tags on the groom's lapel. The cake resembled a White Castle tray holding three slider burgers, fries, and a drink, all made of cake and frosting. Cindy uh, Nunnemaker of Plain City, 17 miles northwest of Columbus, said she and her new husband, Brian Wilson, opted for the alternative wedding because they love White Castle. The nuptials were broadcast live on a local radio station, which paid for the flowers and all the arrangements. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad used to take us into the Bronx to like one of the f last remaining White Castles, um, even back then. Um, and he used to tell us these amazing stories. You know, it was the four boys and him. So we would get like, you know, you can easily, even little kids can easily schlang down, you know, four or five of those fuckers. And you could do ten. You know, I don't know if you know what these are. These are like sort of silver dollar-sized hamburgers, but they're square. And they're in these teeny tiny little buns. And they're steamed. They're not even fried or heated. They're just steamed. So and and they got a pick up one pickle and a little fucking squirt of ketchup, and you just slang these down. You know you you know you get like twenty of them, twenty little tiny hamburgers. I'm telling you, it sounds kind of wacky, but they're fucking the most amazingly delicious things in the world. And um, my dad used to tell us when he was in a band, big band. They used to go in. Uh, there were twenty people in the band. They'd order like four hundred. And they'd fucking go nuts running around making 400 sliders. But uh, when we didn't call them sliders when I was a kid, but they called them, uh, you know, like you'd say, give me a sack of 10 or a sack of 20. So uh, uh, Louis says that uh, they used to call them Band-Aids. You know, it's funny. They do kind of look like little Band-Aids. Anyway, now they call them sliders. And they are fucking good. I do loves me White Castle. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown this day of love. 2008, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with uh, Lulu and S. Poe. And uh, we got some more beautiful uh, love songs for you this evening. Please don't fuck with that dial.
Yeah, man. You know, that's how you could tell the fucking greats are really great when they, you know, sing the standards. Carly Simon on Jester Radio, My Funny Valentine, brings a whole new fucking sound to that song. And it's a great sound. It's the Carly sound. The Delphonics before that, and la 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 means I love you. Now, how gay is that? La 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 means I la 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 love you. Little dee la. And yet. Here we are listening to it 40 years after it was recorded. Go figure. Why? Because it's got the special something. Don't ask me what it is. It's got the something. So my brother, not the one that I spoke to yesterday that told me that my sister had one foot in the grave and the other foot on the banana peel, but the other brother, my oldest brother, who hasn't talked to me in like seven or eight years, he sent me, and this is his trick, um, to, to keep uh, the, the conversation to a minimum. He will only email me, and only when he really, really, really has to. So he sent me a copy of the um, you know, obituary for my sister, and the body of the, e- of the email is actually in the, in the um, subject line. So he puts the question in the subject line so he doesn't actually have to speak in the, e- in the body of the email. Are you with me? This is, how fucking, this is how fucking whack these people are. The subject says, you know, our sister's obituary, any suggestions do you, you want to make, question mark. It's not even like really fully formed sentences. It's like the minimum you can get away with is if you're sending like a telegram. You just take out all the prepositional phrases and the pronouns. Arriving by 23rd, stop. Have taxi waiting, stop. So in the title of the email, it says, any suggestions you want to make? And then the body of the email is just the obituary. There's no like, you know, dear Jester and, you know, love your older brother. There's no part of it that's any like conversational. That's how fucking sick these people are. And, you know, I have to interact with them once in a blue moon, like when somebody dies or, you know, something like this. And, you know, to the, maybe to you people on the outside, you know, it may seem like, why are you making such a big deal? What are you hollering? That was the one play that the 2,000-year-old man invested in the one Shakespeare's play that, that, that he invested in wasn't successful. It was like Constantine and Murray. And Constantine comes out and says, Wherefore art thou on thus thy moon doth shine in the hearkened of the night, and such a night that bringeth of the breath of the life to thee? And Murray comes out and says, What are you hollering? Why, what's with the hollering all of a sudden? Stop with the hollering on me. Anyway, 
So, I, you know, from my perspective, I worry that everybody, you know, looks at me and thinks I'm fucking, you know, whacked because I'm making a big deal out of, you know, these little details about the email and the heading and this. But, you know, I got to fucking tell you, man, they definitely mean something. It's not me. These people really are, uh, you know, like that. So, and I'm whipping myself into a frenzy because I know I'm going to have to do this, um, you know, five easy pieces thing. This like incredibly uncomfortable uh, go back and see my family uh, thing, you know, where um, I, I was, you know, I feel like, you know, whenever you read in the newspaper about these kids who were like kidnapped and they then they lived with their captor for like nine years and then they finally escape, you know, because they see that the guy starts kidnapping a new generation of kids to abuse, you know, and he and he can't stand it anymore. So he escapes not for himself but for the new little kid. You know that you know that story? It's only like every other like episode of Law and Order uh you know, the sex crimes version of whatever that one's called. But in some ways, man, that's how I feel, you know. I grew up in this family, and I managed to get away. There's almost like this slingshot effect. When I was 17, I was determined. I moved out of my parents' house, got my own apartment, went to college. And then, um, you know, my life turned to shit, and I just went back into the fucking belly of the beast. And uh, was in this terrible spiral for like, you know, 25 years. And then managed to pull myself away from them again as a middle-aged, run-down old man. And, uh, you know, I just have to keep my distance because there's something just so seductive about their kind of evil. And uh, so, and and one of them is the fact that... Um, all of these things that I'm saying about this email that my older brother puts in this email and does, it's all done with all this intent and it's all done to get me to react in a certain way. And the fact that everybody in my family has a role to play, everybody plays their role, and when you step outside your role and you don't respond the way you were trained to respond, like a circus monkey, then the family gets really angry. They look at you and like, why are you being independent and thinking and doing shit on your own? Just do the shit that you're the role in the family. You're the funny guy. You're the smart guy. You're the sucker. You're the chump. You're the loser. You're the asshole. You're the winner. Everybody has their role. Don't anybody fucking step outside their role. Mike, uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg faces the notorious New York City press corps several times a week, but nothing prepared him for the grilling he got today from a group of third graders. Kids at uh, public school in Harlem where Bloomberg was holding a news conference down the hall um, disarmed the potential presidential candidate by singing happy birthday to honor the billionaire who turned uh, 66 today. Then they got down to business. Are you rich? Asked one little boy, am I what? I can't hear you, Bloomberg said. The boy repeated the question, and the mayor demurred, pointing out that he works for just $1 a year. That's true. He's a multi-billionaire, but he, the city only pays him a dollar a year. Then another kid says um, uh, he wants to know if, if Bloomberg lives in the White House. He says, no, I, I don't live in the White House. I live on the east side of Manhattan. I lived there for 20 years in that house. 
Um, he says, but I've lived in New York since 1966. And the whole group is, hmm, you know, this was impressive, impressive to the eight and nine-year-olds. So they made him seem even more ancient than he thought. Earlier when they tried to guess his age, the room full of kids started at 107. But now the kids were just warming up. They fired more questions. Have you ever met the president? Yes. Um, who are you going to vote for? Not telling. Do you have a million dollars? Fucking kids. These kids in Harlem, man, you know, they're just cutting to the chase. You got a million dollars, mister? He says, I don't have, I have a, I have a wonderful birthday card. And then he held up his, uh, the creation that um, was made for him. And this is really nice. So, okay, I better be going. You know, he's like kind of like a real stiffy. He's like that real super nerd from high school. Never was a big fan of uh, of uh, Bloomberg's never really understood exactly what he was all about so uh, don't know much about that hey you're listening to the uh, ravings of a clown on Jester Radio more than what you tune into the uh, ravings uh, for and uh, me I live in dream as strange as it seems Love came to me. It's possible. Dion Demuch. Anjaya. Don't touch that dial.
Gillum Murray, the inimitable Nancy Wilson, 
on Jester Radio. Dion, before that, Love Came to Me. You know, that's a <laughs> fucking odd song now that I think about it. Um, first of all, it's got all that wacky, don't change a hair for me, not if you care for me, kind of bullshit as if, you know, like, oh my God, you're just so perfect for me that I don't do anything to change ever. You're perfect. Darling, you're beautiful, don't ever change. But uh, is your figure less than Greek? First of all, if Greek is the standard, then yeah, I would think so. I would hope so. Is your mouth a little weak? What is that? What are you even trying to say? When you open it to speak, are you smart? So these are not uh, the kind of touching, loving uh, romantic lyrics one might think one might find in the s- romance standard of the 21st century. And yet, and yet here we lay with no opposable thumbs. You're tuned into the Rovings of a Klein this Thursday, February the 14th, the day of love, the year of our Lord, 2008. A robbery suspect tried to hide his face with a pair of underwear, but the uh, disguise didn't fool anybody. (laughs) Police arrested Jerry Keene, 40, and Elizabeth Blankenship, 48, both of English a short time after the pair allegedly robbed the Hillbilly Market in uh, English, that's near Welch, West Virginia, McDowell County Sheriff's Chief Deputy Mark Shelton said Blankenship, this is the woman, she was 48. Could you imagine the toothless thing? We're talking West Virginia here, so use your imagination. So the 48-year-old woman, she's 48 in years, but those are human years. In her years, in hillbilly years, she looks like she's like 70. She only has like the teeth on the side, you know? So she goes into a convenience store, and then she leaves. And then Keen, this guy Jerry Keen, he's the 40-year-old. He's, you know, he's got a ponytail going down his back because he hasn't had a haircut since the late 50s. So he goes in. He conceals his face with his underwear. Apparently, they had been standing out in the parking lot, and she said, Now get in there, Jerry, and rob them. And he said, but they recognize me. They'll reckon they'll see me a face. And she says, Well, put on a mask, Jerry. Disguise your face. Put something over your face. And he says, Like what? I don't have any convenient face mask handy. And she says, But Jerry, taking off your pants and put them on your head. They won't be able to recognize you with your underwear on your head. And he thought that was a brilliant idea. So he put his underwear, his tidy whities over his face. He was shocked that anybody could recognize him afterwards. He says witnesses identified the suspect despite the disguise. Uh, he went in, showed a gun, and demanded money. Blankenship and Keene were each charged with armed robbery. They're being held uh, this evening at the McDowell County Holding Facility in West Virginia. You know, remember when uh, uh, um, 
that uh, what's his name? Uh, that Rocky Mountain High guy. Who was that guy? That country singer. And he did that song, uh, "Almost Heaven," West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain, John Denver. Yeah. The uh, former mayor of Alice, Texas, who resigned because of a custody dispute over the Shih Tzu named Puddles and says she didn't steal her neighbor's pooch. We've been, tell we've been reporting on this story for the past couple of weeks. Um, the mayor, the then mayor of this little town in Texas called Alice, um, was babysitting, was dog-sitting for her neighbor's poodle. And when the neighbor came back, she says, oh, yeah, that dog died. So sorry. Slank. <laughs> Close the fucking door. Meanwhile, she kept the dog, and she renamed the dog to something else. And then, like, a friend of the other ladies saw the mayor in, like, a store with the dog calling her the new name. And she was like, what the fuck? In an interview today with NBC's uh, Today Show, ex-mayor Grace Sens Lopez says that she had taken Puddles, who she named to Panchito, to protect the dog because she believed he was being neglected. So apparently the mayor of the town didn't realize that there were channels that one goes through when they suspect neglect, not kidnapping and renaming. I didn't steal the dog. I did not return him to save his life, said Sanz Lopez, who was indicted on January 18th, on two felony charges related to the alleged dog napping, as she spoke, the former mayor cuddled Poodles slash Panchito in her lap. I don't know why she doesn't have to give up that dog to the other lady. You would think she would have to. That, that would be the first fucking thing. The fact that she still has that dog in her lap, man, that would drive me batshit. So it's disingenuous, obviously, for this cunt to now say, oh, I didn't steal the dog. I was saving his life. She fell in love with the dog. She wanted the fucking dog, and she told the, the other ladies the dog died. If she really thought that she was abusing her dog, then she would call the police, call the ASPCA, make a formal complaint. She was the mayor. I'm sure she understood there were procedures for that. It's not every man for himself. The dispute began in July when Puddle's original owners, uh, Rudy Gutierrez and Shelly Cavazos, asked Sanz Lopez, their next-door neighbor, to take care of him while they were on vacation. When they called to check on him, Sanz Lopez told them that Puddle's had died and was buried in the backyard. <laughs> Not only was he dead, but they buried him already. They didn't even, they didn't even have, like, a viewing. However, three months later, a relative of the neighbors saw the pet at a dog groomer. When Sanz Lopez refused to return the dog, the family filed a criminal complaint and a civil lawsuit against her. Sanz Lopez later reported the dog missing, only to have Puddles Panchito turn up at the home of the mayor's twin sister. So that, oh yeah, she, I forgot, she pulled this ruse. She went to the court and said, I don't know where the dog is. The dog turned up missing. Uh Lo and behold, a fucking cops went around to her twin sister's house. She was hiding the dog out at her sister's house. Can you imagine this loony bird? Sanz Lopez resigned as mayor a couple of days ago after a recall petition was circulated in the South Texas town of fewer than 20,000 residents. 
Cavazos, who appeared on the Today Show with Guterres and their attorney, said that she left Puddles with Sanz Lopez because I trusted her. I knew he was sick. I never thought this would happen. At the time, the dog was suffering from a severe flea infestation and a reaction to the chemicals used to treat him. We're animal lovers, too, said Cavazos, whose family is still trying to get Puddles back. Last week, a judge in Alice declined to give the Guterres family temporary custody of the dog pending trial in April, saying that they had not shown the required need for extraordinary relief. So there's no need to have their precious pet, their beloved doggy, back. And since they can't demonstrate the need, then uh, they'll just have to wait for them to win in court. That sucks. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Thursday, February the 14th, the day of love. And uh, the year of our Lord, 2008. Of course, uh, all this evening we're playing and uh, talking about, uh, you know, you know. VD. VD is finally upon us. And uh, it's nice, you know, I've been, as part of my policy of withdrawing and isolating myself from humanity lately, um, I didn't send any. I got one or two. <clears throat> I got one or two of the um, cards, but I didn't send any, and I didn't feel guilty about it at all. Maybe just a tiny bit. I mean, I sent some shit to the girls, but... Um, not to like anybody in my life. And I'm just avoiding that whole chazerai, as they say. But, you know, I love it. I think it's nice. I remember uh, when I first got married, um, I went out to dinner. Where that was when I was really like living in the belly of the beast. And I went out to dinner with my wife and my parents. Man, there's a fucking package for you right there. My wife, by the way, and my mother... My wife was 10 years older than me, so hello, Freud. And she went to the same high school that my mother did. And they, told, they both had the exact same accent. They grew up like six blocks from each other. So, uh, you know, this is... And I remember being out to dinner with my old man, and uh, we're smoking cigars, or we're drinking sherries, and ah, rah, rah. And the two women are jabbering, and I'm jabbering with the old man. And he says to me, what'd you get the little lady for uh, Valentine's Day? And I said, uh, I got her a camera. She was a photographer back in the day. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, what'd that run you? I said, oh, about a grand. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember her. The two of us with these fucking cigars. And uh, it was quite a scene. And that was my first Valentine's Day with my wife. I bought her a thousand dollar camera, and these are a thousand nineteen you know eighty three dollars, so they're worth a little bit more, probably anyway, thanks so very much for stopping by and spending some time. Here with us on Jester Radio, if so inclined, please feel free to pick up the phone and give us a call, 646-502-8600. We'll get you uh, right on the air, instantado, and uh, you could speak your mind. Maybe you got a story to tell uh, about your first uh, time with uh, the one you loved, or your first Valentine's Day with your uh, significant uh, other. 
646-502-8600. And you can call. I know it's kind of late. Hope I didn't wake you. But there's something that I just got to say. I know you'd understand. Every time the time is right, the words just came out wrong. So, as usual, I got to sing it. Jim Croce on JR. I didn't wake you, but what I've got to say can't wait. I know you'd understand. Every time I tried to tell you, the words just came out wrong. So I have to say I love you in a song. Yeah, I know it's kind of strange. Every time I'm near you, I just run out of things to say. I know you'd understand. Every time I try to tell you, the words just came out wrong. So I have to say I love you in a song. Greek is your mouth. 
a little weak when you open it to speak. Are you smart? But don't change your hair for me. Not if you care for me. Stay little Valentine. Stay. Each day is Valentine's. Stay Valentine. Fucking God, Sarah Vaughn on Jester Radio, holy crap. And that was recorded back before they had, like, those gizmos that can correct your fucked up voice. So you know that's the real shit. Uh, Jim Croce, before that, I'll have to say I love you in a song because every time the time is right, the words just came out wrong. Sorry. I knew you'd understand. Hey, you're listening to the Roovings of Acclaim, this uh, day of Louvre, the year of our Lord, 2008. Of course, we're celebrating uh, St. Valentine's Day, VD, as it's known to uh, you and me. Holiday celebrated on February 14th in North America and in Europe as well, traditionally by exchanging Valentine's cards and flowers and highly caloric confectionery lumps of chocolate. And it's based, uh, it's uh, named after uh, two uh, Christian martyrs, the uh, uh, Italian ones, although there have been like, you know, 50 St. Valentines over the years. No, it's 50, but there's been a bunch of them. And there's been a celebration of the Day of Love uh, going back to, you know, maybe the 13th century. And um, they had, you know, different uh, different cultures um, celebrated, uh, uh, you know, different, uh, usually in the spring, uh, festivals of, uh, of, you know, getting it on. In Brazil... The Dia dos Namorados, which literally translates into the Day of the Enamored or the bo- Boyfriend-Girlfriend Day, is uh, celebrated on June 12th, and they exchange gifts and candy and chocolate and flowers. And uh, it was for St. Anthony Day. Uh, Jewish tradition has the 15th day of the month of Av, Tubav, uh, usually in late August is the Festival of Love in Turkey. Valentine's Day is called Selvgidya Gunu, 
which translates into Sweetheart's Day. So all over the world, there's uh, all cultures have this uh, traditional time to uh, celebrate, uh, you know, getting uh, horny and getting it on and hooking up. Even in Egypt, the most, uh, you know, un-fucking-Muslim holiday you could ever imagine is the celebration of love and romance. And yet, even in Cairo, their stores are decorated red and people are giving, you know, gifts of uh, wine and uh, cards and so on, especially the young kids. Even though the older people frown upon it, they just sort of let it go. Because... The young kids in love. What could be wrong with that? Even to the Egyptians. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown this Thursday, uh, the day of love, uh, the year of our Lord, 2008. Can uh, his fractured fiddle, a million-dollar guadagni, be fixed? It's too early to tell David Garnett. A former model who has been called the David Beckham of the classical scene said he tripped while carrying his 18th century violin as he was leaving London's Barbican Hall after a performance smashing it to bits. I had it over my shoulder in its case and I fell down a concrete flight of stairs backwards, Garnett said. When I opened the case, most of my GB Guadagnini had been crushed. Garnett said that he bought the 1772 violin for a million dollars back in 2003. He's now hoping to get it repaired in New York, where he lives. I hope and pray that it can be fixed, but if it can't, I hope my insurance will will buy me another great violin, said the 26-year-old musician. He said the uh, um, he told Jester Radio that other published accounts uh, saying that the violin was a Stradivarius was false. Uh, Guadagnini is believed to have been the student of Antonio Stradivari. Uh, the accident occurred on December 27th, but only came to light this week when he returned to London for another concert at the Barbican and told British reporters what had happened. For his Valentine's Day concert uh, there, he played a Stradivarius that had been loaned to him. Garnett gained attention as a child prodigy. Before he was 10 years old, he played as a soloist with the London Philharmonic, according to uh, his website. When he was uh, when he studied at Juilliard School in New York, he became a part-time model to help supplement his income. So tough life for David Garnett. You've been listening to the ravings of a clown. This love day, the year of our Lord, 2008. Extra, extra special thanks to Lulu and Espo and all the folks that stopped by the Jester Radio chat room. Thanks to Rupert Pumpkin for calling in and for Jesterette number two, my darling daughter, uh, who called in to wish all of my listeners um, happy St. Valentine's Day. And on behalf of uh, yours truly, Bob the Engineer and Dolly the Receptionist and all those here at uh, Jester Radio Studios, uh, you know, don't get too hung up. On the Valentine's thing. It's like Christmas, you know. It causes a lot of stress. But um, it is nice to take some time and uh, tell or show somebody that you care about them. Even if it's not romantic, uh, call your mom, call your sister, call your brother, call your niece or nephew. um, Somebody who might be glad to hear from you. 
and tell them that you were thinking of them and, uh, you know, and uh, that you hope that they have uh, a happy VD. That'll get their attention. Because, you know, my brother, um, the one who died uh, many years ago, um, he was an anthropologist and he was a big fan of tradition. He wasn't a fan of religion, wasn't a fan of, uh, you know, the church or this, you know, uh, he, but, but he loved tradition. Um, tradition is what makes culture. When people get together and do the same shit for hundreds or thousands of years, it's what cultures are built around. And it's what really makes you feel, um, you know, comfortable and safe. There is no safety. Uh, this constant struggle that we have to make ourselves, to, to, to delude ourselves into thinking that we're, we have a moment to relax. And that's what our, all our lives about. If you ever go out into the forest and take a look at a fucking deer in the forest, you know, they take like a little nibble of grass and then they're like, what? What the fuck was that? Who's there? What? Did you hear that? What was that? I heard something. Don't tell me there's no... They're a nervous wreck. And the same thing with the rabbits and the beavers. They're constantly looking over their shoulder because they're scared shitless because there's no such thing as safety in this world. And uh, sometimes we can create the illusion of momentary illusion of safety. Uh, we hang around in large groups and uh, we become, you know, reliant on the big strong ones at the periphery, to, you know, to watch the gates. Uh, but we can only, you know, hope and pray. And at any moment, uh, the world can become a really scary, horrible place. So, you know, not meaning to, you know, freak you out or make you sad, but, you know, this is... Um, we we do you know we do need to stop every now and then and recount and reset and look back and that's why traditions are really good for that we don't get a chance every day to stop and be grateful and thankful for the things we have so we've set aside a day a special day just to do that we don't have the time every day to think about our loved ones and the ones that we care about and the kind and loving wishes that we have for them so we put aside a special day just for that. And whatever the traditions are, and wherever they come from, it always seems to end up that every culture seems to have one of each. They got one of those holidays that let them celebrate love, one of those holidays that celebrate fall harvest, one of those, um, you know, winter solstice celebrations. They got, so, you know, so it seems they all, and you know what else they all have? They all have a blintza. They, the Jews have the blintz. The Mexicans have the taco. The Chinese have the egg roll. Think about this. I'm onto something here. What? No. Sorry. Uh, thanks again for stopping by. Uh, extra special thanks uh, to those uh, that uh, instant messaged and, and emailed and phoned in. You know, uh, I love you so very much. That's, uh, you know, how I feel about you. When I say that, I'm not being glib. I really love you. Really, I'm so grateful that you're there for me every day because this is, you know, I'm stressed. You don't even really, uh, as, as, as fucked up as you must think I am, you can't even imagine how I am when I'm not with you. When I'm not spending these two hours with you, this is really my best two hours of the day. Because when I'm not with you, I'm a fucking nervous, 
paranoid, uh, depressive, dark, sad scumbag, and angry a lot. Did I mention the, the, the rage? And the time that I spend with you, it's really my best time of the day, and I'm so grateful. And I do thank you so very much. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. You have my word on that. Until that time, Eustace. My funny Valentine. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Sweet comic Valentine. You make me smile with my heart. You look so laughable, unphotographable, but you're my favorite work of art. Is you figure less than Greek? Is your mouth a little weak when you open it to speak? Are you smart? Don't change your hair for me Not if you care for me Stay little Valentine Stay Each day is Valentine Don't forget, 11-11, dance wherever you are. If it's 11-11, just dance till it's 
Behold the way our fine feathered friend his virtue doth parade. Thou knowest not, my dim-witted friend, the picture thou hast made. Thy vacant brow and thy tousled hair conceal thy good intent. Thou noble, upright, truthful, sincere, and slightly dopey gent, you're my funny valentine, sweet comic valentine, you make me smile. Two o'clock, wondering what I'm doing here alone. 